0: Kane was there! Kane was there too! Yeah! No enhancement needed. This ain't Monday Night Raw! This is my It's WrestleRant WrestleRant Radio. What's going on guys welcome back to WrestleRant Radio for Thursday, March 14th, 2019. I am Graham GS and Matthews. Hope you guys are doing well. And as of this recording, we are 24 days out from WrestleMania 35. And as I've said several times here on the show before, Alexis and I will be in attendance for everything that WrestleMania Weekend will have to offer, including but not limited to. We have Ring of Honor New Japan Pro Wrestling G1 Supercard at Madison Square Garden on Saturday night, WrestleMania Access on Friday. WrestleCon on Saturday morning, um, I'm forgetting my days here, getting my days mixed up, NXT TakeOver New York on Friday night, WrestleMania 35 itself on Sunday, and Monday Night Raw live from the Barclays Center on Monday night as well. So again, an absolutely loaded weekend, cannot wait for it. I would say that I'm looking forward to the warm weather, but you don't know what New York, New Jersey is going to have to offer in early April, because I've been here in the northeast at times where it's been freezing, and I've been here in the northeast at times where it's been warm by early April. It will technically be spring by that point. I think spring is in about a week from now, but that hardly matters. That's merely a title, so I guess we'll find out come April 5th through the 7th for WrestleMania weekend. Fingers crossed it will be warm, though. Technically, I'm on my spring break from school right now. It feels like anything but a spring break, though, because A, it's not spring break yet, technically. It's not spring yet, technically. And there's still snow on the ground from a few days ago. And I enjoy snow as much as anybody during the months of December and January and maybe February. By March, though, I'm done with it. I'm over it. I'm ready for spring. So here's hoping that melts by early April. Because I think it was when I was in Florida for WrestleMania 33. I think on the Saturday that I was gone, my roommate texted me telling me that it snowed in the Northeast. So imagine if that happened for WrestleMania weekend like we talk all the time, about how, oh, it's gonna rain one of these years for WrestleMania, one of these outdoor stadiums, and is gonna be fucked, what are they gonna do? What if it snows? I mean, obviously it'll be fine, the show will go on no matter what, I mean, a guy fucking died on their own show, Owen Hart, back in Over the Edge 1999, and the pay-per-view went on as planned, so nothing is stopping WrestleMania from going on per-scheduled, as-scheduled, I think I talked about it with Jason a few years ago. He was saying, oh, maybe they move it to the next day. No way, Jose. And I'm not talking about the jobber that now looks like the love child of Naomi in The Predator. I'm talking about there is no remote chance in hell. As Vince McMahon's own theme song says, there is no chance in hell that WrestleMania will be moved. Regardless of the weather, whether it's rain, sun, snow, I am tempted to say they would keep WrestleMania right where it's at, even in the midst of a hurricane or some sort of natural disaster. Vince McMahon is one of the most determined, adamant and stubborn people you will ever deal with in your entire life. There has to be some sort of major disaster going on to cause him to move WrestleMania. Not saying that's happening, but I'm just thinking about it in my head right now with WrestleMania being in New York kind of cold, kind of warm. Who gives a shit? He would tell you, go go, go! wear a jacket wear a sweatshirt. That's what You know, people in the Northeast do anyway, if you're from other parts of the country where it's warmer, get used to it. It's going to be a fun time, though, and I'm looking forward to it. Before we get to WrestleMania weekend in New York, in a few short weeks, though, we are talking the latest in the world of WWE from the last couple of days. We have a jam-packed edition of WrestleRant Radio on tap for you fine folks here today, including my full review of the Fastlane pay-per-view from Sunday, a very enjoyable event overall, if I do say so myself, Monday Night Raw from Monday, SmackDown from Tuesday, even 205 Live from Tuesday night as well. Um, But before we get to any of that, I do want to give my full picks, preview, and predictions for Friday's a Ring of Honor 17th anniversary show. Um, I love the anniversary shows. The last few that I've seen were really, really good. The 14th anniversary show, I think, was the first ROH anniversary show I watched back in 2016. That was a good show. The 15th anniversary show remains to this day one of my favorite Ring of Honor pay per views they've ever done. It was awesome. And last year's, if I remember correctly, was also very, very good. So I have high hopes for this year's installment emanating from Samtown Live, Samstown Live in Las Vegas, Nevada. It's going to be a good show. Um, before we get to any of that, though, guys, be sure to check out full episodes of WrestleRant Radio every single Thursday, not only on NextTheRessing.net, but also on iTunes. Go to the Apple Podcast app on your phone. Simply search up WrestleRant Radio. Rate the show, subscribe to the show, review the show, all that stuff is amazingly appreciated. You not only get the new episodes on Thursdays, you also get every archived episode dating back to October of 2013. So subscribe today, it is now easier than ever to listen to WrestleRant Radio Weekly. Um, also, you guys could check me out on the socials, on the Twitter machine at Wrestlerant, on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Graham.GSM.Matthews, and on YouTube as well at youtube.com backslash C backslash Graham GSM Matthews. So, a uh, real quick news note here. Not going to go on a massive rant about this like I did with Tori Wilson last week, but the latest inductees into the WWE Hall of Fame, Harlem Heat, consisting of Stevie Ray and Booker T. Uh, a well deserved induction, but as I said on Twitter, This now makes Booker T a two-time Hall of Famer. Not to say that he doesn't deserve it, but the only other people in that elite company are Ric Flair and Shawn Michaels. Someone tried to tell me on Twitter the other day, oh, there's no big deal about this. You know, there's plenty of people that have been inducted twice, including Triple H and all these other people. Everyone's going to be inducted twice. Brett Hart with the Hart Foundation and Triple H on his own. It's like, but dude, as of right now, there is only one person inducted twice. Two more people come this year's Wrestlemania. After that, that's it. Yeah, Triple H will likely be inducted on his own down the road because he's the game. He's a Triple H. Yeah, like he'll very likely be inducted on his own as the headliner down the road. I am already envisioning that. I have no issue with that. I could see Bret Hart going in twice, as he deserves to be as part of the Hart Foundation. As of right now, the Hart Foundation is not going into the Hall of Fame this year. And I don't think they are. I think it came down to two choices. You either run with the Hart Foundation as the big group for this year's Hall of Fame, or it's D-Generation X, and instead they went with DX, and I'm glad they did, and I like the Hart Foundation, they deserve a nod, into the Hall of Fame, I think Jimmy Hart, <laughs> excuse me, in that case would go in twice, um, and I, I guess that's okay, Brett Hart deserves to go in twice, a la Ric Flair and Shawn Michaels, but I think most of the Hart Foundation, if they inducted them, if they induct the members, that I think they will, not including Owen Hart, but including, you know, Davey Boy Smith, the British Bulldog, or Jim Neidhart, they're all dead, except for Bret Hart. That's not to say they wouldn't induct them. They did the same thing with the Von Erichs years ago. All but one member of the Von Erich family is still alive, at least of the people they inducted into the Hall of Fame 10 years ago um, at WrestleMania 25. So, that's not to say it's out of the question, but I think if you're going to induct two groups in the same year, that's a bit much. So I would stick with DX. They already have a tag team. They, don't, they do not need to induct the Hart Foundation this year. Um... But like I said, going back to what I said earlier with Booker T, yeah, you have Shawn Michaels, you have Ric Flair, two of the greatest of all time, and then then Booker T. And I like Booker T, don't get me wrong, but to think of him as a two-time Hall of Famer just kind of seems unnecessary to me. Like, I know they don't think these things out years in advance, but why even bother inducting the guy on his own if he was going to go into the tag team anyway? Harlem Heat should have been inducted together back in 2013 at WrestleMania 29 week and also in the New York, New Jersey area. There's no reason for Booker to go in on his own. Because I feel like part of his accolades, part of the reason why he went into the Hall of Fame six years ago was because of the success he had with Harlem Heat. So why put in Harlem Heat if he was already kind of, you know, um, acknowledged and put in for that stuff six years ago? I'm glad Stevie Ray's going and I think that's cool. But they, they should just should have done the tag team thing back in 2013. Because now this opens the doors... For plenty of other people to go in twice. Edge wouldn't, you know, be upset if he went in twice. But now this opens the doors for him to go in with Christian as a tag team. I would hope Christian gets his own induction. But whatever. Hey, Booker T went on his own. Why not Christian? There's that. You can induct Bubba Ray Dudley on his own. I don't think they should. But they could do that if they wanted to. There's plenty of examples. Um, China people are saying she should go in again. As she should. She should have already been in the Hall of Fame on her own. But... That's a different story in and of itself. But Harlem Heat is a very worthy induction. I'm not arguing that. But just the idea of Booker T as a three-time... God forbid, three-time. If he goes in as G.I. Bro, like Michael Cole alluded to on Raw this week. um, He's now a two-time Hall of Famer. To think of him as a two-time Hall of Famer in the same category as Shawn Michaels and Ric Flair. Something about that just seems wrong to me. So congratulations to the guy. I think it's great, but... uh, the Hall of Fame is a bit of a joke anyway. I mean, people will argue it's legitimacy all day long, and that's fine. But still, uh, I'm not a big fan of Booker T going in twice so soon after his last induction six years ago. Moving right along to Ring of Honor's 17th anniversary show this Friday, live from Sam Town live, Samstown Live in Las Vegas, Nevada. It's a pretty uh, strong lineup on paper here, starting from the bottom, working our way up to the top, Jonathan Gresham taking on Silas Young in the last match added to the card just a few days ago. Um, This should be good. I don't really know why they're facing off unless they've had issues on live events or something like that that I haven't seen. They've had no established issues on Ring of Honor TV as of late, but I won't complain about a quality contest. I'm glad Gresham's on the card. He's a great hand. Silas Young, also one of my favorites in Ring of Honor right now. Um, Virtually it doesn't matter who wins. Young has been going up and down the card for a while now. To the point where I'm actually surprised that he re-signed to the Ring of Honor a few months ago. Because they have not done all that much with him since he dropped the Ring of Honor World Television Championship about a year ago. Um, He's really just been kind of floating on the card and tag teams with Beer City Bruiser and Bully Ray. and That's really about it. Um, But this should be a good match just for the hell of it. Gresham should go over. The guy's a great wrestler, but he never really seems to win when it matters most. So I would give Gresham the win here. Lifeblood, consisting of Mark Haskins and Tracy Williams. Taken on the Kingdom's T.K. Ryan and Vinny Marcellia. Uh, Lifeblood is new on the block. Other members include Tenille Dashwood, um, Bandito, CJ Robinson. Uh, C- that's CJ Parker. Juice Robinson. I'm sorry, I mixed up the two names there. Juice Robinson. Um, I think I said Tenille Dashwood. Uh, and I think someone else. I think David Finley. Finley's son. I think he got hurt recently, though. But anyway, uh, Lifeblood is new in the block in Ring of Honor. I like the idea of the faction, because uh, they're all great wrestlers. Their, their, their main goal in ROH is to restore the honor in Ring of Honor. So I like that, and the Kingdom has been very much against that in the last couple of months or years or so, um, and wreaking all the havoc that they have on the promotion. So I'm looking forward to the match on paper. It should be good. Uh, Lifeblood, as I said, just debuted. They should win here. For the Ring of Honor World Television Championship, Jeff Cobb versus Shane Taylor... For some reason, I feel like we've seen this match before on an episode of Ring of Honor TV maybe a few months ago, and it was a really good match, don't get me wrong, and obviously Taylor lost. I think Cobb has been undefeated since arriving in Ring of Honor late last year. Um, it just seems kind of strange. I know Taylor threw his name into the hat for a shot of the championship a few weeks ago. Beyond that, I don't really recall much of a rivalry between the two. I honestly would have rather seen Cobb and Young, Silas Young, which was a fresh match. They recently did that on... An episode of ROH TV, and it was good, by no means great. Uh, Maybe Cobb and Taylor will be better under the bright lights of pay per view, and they'll go out there and contest an absolute banger of a bout. Who knows? But this should be good. I would not take the title off of Cobb at this point. Taylor's not the right guy to dethrone him as champion anyway, so I would keep the championship on Cobb. Mayu Iwatani versus Kelly Klein for the Women of Honor World Championship. I believe Iwatani beat Klein for the title on a recent live event for Ring of Honor, which is cool. Uh, Klein had just won the belt two months earlier at Ring of Honor Final Battle when I and Alexis and her brother were there, so her reign was not all that long. Um, I don't see her regaining the gold so soon. I mean, I guess she could, and Iwatani's reign could have been a bit of a transitional championship reign, which would be fine, but is great. Um, I think she was actually involved in the tournament to crown the inaugural uh, Woman of Honor World Champion about a year ago, and she really impressed me. So I hope she... Holds on to the gold for a little while longer. There's some great matches that she can have with Tennille Dashwood and the rest of uh, Ring of Honor's women's division. But this should be good. I see Iwatani going over and retaining her Women of Honor World Championship. Kenny King versus Marty Skrull. Now, Kenny King has had a bit of a problem with all the members of the Elite um, a few months ago. I mean, obviously obviously this is going back a while because the Elite has not been in Ring of Honor since, like, final battle. Um, But I think he faced Cody Rhodes at one point. He beat Hangman Page, surprisingly enough. Um, I think he actually owns a victory over Marty Skrull as well. I don't know really why else this match is happening. Marty Skrull was or is owed a World Championship shot from a few months ago. I don't know if he's gotten it yet. I would assume he has. Kenny King I see on the rise in Ring of Honor. He's a really good talent. Um, He very well might be the one to beat Jay Lethal for that Ring of Honor World Championship uh, Marty Skrull is on his way out. He's doing the tag team—he's doing the tag team thing right now with the rest of Villain Enterprises, and that's great. But um, he's clearly on his way out of the promotion. Past when his contract expires, reportedly in April. So um, I don't think Skrull's going over here. I think they want to start building up Kenny King as a world championship caliber competitor. So I see him going over here. Bandito versus Rush. Now this is going to be awesome. Um, really no rhyme or reason as to why the match is happening, aside from that it's kind of a dream match for both of these guys. Now, to be fair, I'm not overly familiar with either guy. Both guys just signed the Ring of Honor late last year, early 2019. Bandito is a member of that aforementioned Lifeblood faction I mentioned earlier. Um, Roosh, did I say Rush? I meant Roosh, that I should have said. I apologize if I mispronounced. it. It's actually Roosh. I thought it was Rush. It's Roosh. Um it's not the fucking band from years ago it's Roosh but um he's an amazing competitor when I see him he's one of those guys where like when I first saw Andrade Synonymous uh, a number of years ago back in an NXT live event long before he ever made his NXT TV debut um I think he faced Austin Aries at a house show that I went to with RJ in Lowell um He really impressed me, and he's one of those guys like Del Rio, who I'm not too fond of now, clearly. But 10 years ago, I was when he first arrived on the scene. He just screams star. He was one of those, you know, Latino stars that did not need to wear a mask to get over. He's great in the ring, screams, you know, star. His English may not be great. I haven't heard him speak a full promo since arriving in Ring of Honor, but uh, he is going to be a top star for ROH in no time. I can just guarantee it. Um, He has since faced, I think, Vinny Marcellia and. Uh, TKO Ryan and beaten both guys. I believe he's undefeated in ROH as of right now. I would keep the streak going. I would have Roosh go over. I think Bandito is kind of a background player right now in the Lifeblood faction. I mean, he could win, but I think Roosh, there's more to gain there with him going over. So this should be, I think, the show stealer of the night. I really do. I think this match could be amazing. For the Ring of Honor World Tag Team Championship, we have the Briscoes taking on Villain Enterprises. Now, The interesting thing about this match is that it's already been announced that at the Ring of Honor New Japan Pro Wrestling G1 Supercard event at MSG over WrestleMania weekend, it's going to be a winner-take-all match for the Ring of Honor World Tag Team titles and the IWGP Tag Team titles. And I think at that point, I'm not sure if they have any title defenses coming up, but the Gorillas of Destiny are the current IWGP Heavyweight Tag Team Champions. I think they will still be the IWGP Heavyweight Tag Team Champions come G1 Supercard. So the winners of this match will advance to that winner-take-all match at G1 Supercard. Um, I can't see it being Villain Enterprises. They've been a fun faction since coming together late last year. Marty Scurll, Brody King, and PCO. Some weird chemistry on paper. They feel like three random wrestlers just thrown together for no reason. But they've really come together, um, created some awesome chemistry, had some fun matches. They all work well together. I just don't see them beating the Briscoes for the World Tag Team Titles and then facing the Gorillas of Destiny at G1 Supercard. I think the Gorillas of Destiny are winning that matchup. Uh, The Briscoes versus G.O.D. has the potential to be fucking awesome. There's no reason for the Briscoes to lose here. So I got the Briscoes going over. And that takes us to the main event for the Ring of Honor World Championship. Jay Lethal versus Matt Taven. Now, I would say it's a foregone conclusion that Jay Lethal wins but I really don't know Lethal's now been champion since the summer of 2018 I think he won the championship the night after the best in the world pay-per-view which would I think been June 30th 2018 so it's been nine months that he's been champion I think he actually holds the record for most consecutive days as Ring of Honor world champion which is pretty cool I would keep the belt on Lethal. Um, They've been very high on Taven for a while now. As have I, I've been following Taven for the last 10 years. He was at the very first indie show I ever attended, Northeast Wrestling. I think you faced Mike Bennett, of all people, actually, um, on that show. At a Northeast Wrestling independent event, Waterbury, Connecticut, May 4th or 3rd, one of those two dates. I think it was May May 3rd or May 2nd, I think, one of those two dates uh, of 2009. That was when I first saw Matt Taven. I think he was just starting out his career at that point after training over in Massachusetts. Um, the guy is very good. He's quite the talent, and I've been a big fan of his push in the last year or so. He's beaten everyone from, well, excuse me, everyone from Will Ospreay to just every possible top talent in Ring of Honor. He beat Dalton Castle back at Final Battle a few months ago. He's beaten everyone in this path in recent months, leading him to this point for the Ring of Honor World Championship. Uh, the match should be good. Jay Lethal again is I think the best person they can have that title on right now. Until someone up comes through the ranks, until someone comes through the ranks that I feel is a deserving person to take the title from Lethal, I don't think Taven's that guy. At least not right now. Because of course, a lot like the Ring of Honor World Tag Team title match, the winners of this match, the winner of this match, will advance the G one supercard to defend the Ring of Honor World Championship there. Do they really want to put the belt on Matt Taven on, you know, going into that show? I would argue no, maybe after G1 Supercard, but at G1 Supercard, I don't see Taven walking in as the ROH World Champion. Jay White is not the same established name that Okada and Tanahashi are, but a lot like Matt Taven, he's been a guy that they were pushing for a long, long time. I think he was. I think he's a great current fit as the IWGP Heavyweight Champion. Taven, Ring of Honor World Champion, right now. It just doesn't do a lot for me. It really doesn't. I think there's more dream matches to be had at the G1 Supercard with Lethal as champion as opposed to Taven. So I would keep the belt on Lethal, but I would not put it past them to put the championship on Taven, which would be cool. Don't get me wrong, because again, I'm a big Taven fan, but I think the timing, just right guy, wrong time, I would say. I don't think the timing is right. I don't think it's Taven time quite yet. Maybe in a few months from now, but not at this present moment. And those are my predictions for Friday's Ring of Honor 17th Anniversary Show pay-per-view. Uh, live from Samstown Live in Las Vegas, Nevada. Uh, should be a great show. Looking forward to watching it live on Honor Club on Friday night. Moving right along into my full fast lane review from Sunday night. Overall, as I said earlier, a very entertaining show. Actually better than I thought it would be. Granted, that's not saying much because my expectations weren't all that high to begin with. Because, I mean, you can't blame me either. Just because the pay-per-view has always been a complete afterthought for WWE. I maintain, despite how good this show was, it just wasn't necessary. We don't need Elimination Chamber, and we don't need Fastlane. These pay-per-views would be way better off not happening at all. Just do the main matches. If you want to do a big match between uh, WrestleMania or Royal Rumble and WrestleMania, do it on TV, like the old days. Do it on Raw. Do it on SmackDown. It's not that big of a deal. Do something similar to what SmackDown did a few years ago, when they had that big um, wild card edition of SmackDown in late 2016. I think it was one or I think it was the final episode of SmackDown of that year. And it was tremendous. They promoted three or four big matches. They all delivered. John Cena's return as well. And everything was amazing. No filler. And that was it. Book it like a pay-per-view. Like a two-hour pay-per-view. To do these matches on a four-hour show, most of which you didn't need to do in the first place, to me it just seems like a waste of time. But that being said, I thought the show was good overall. Let's begin to break it down. Starting with the kickoff show, which was supposed to be Rey Mysterio versus Andrade, but we found out on the kickoff show that Rey Mysterio and Andrade had since been added to a uh, had since been added to a Fatal 4-Way match for the United States Championship also featuring Samoa Joe and our Truth in a rematch from the prior Tuesday's episode of SmackDown Live for the United States title. So, that's why that match didn't happen, giving me hope that we could see, we could still see Rey Mysterio versus Andrade one-on-one at WrestleMania. I'll talk more about that in my SmackDown review in a little bit. But the kickoff show instead saw The New Days, Big E, and Xavier Woods take on Rusev and Shinsuke Nakamura. That was a terrible accent, by the way. I apologize. Um, this was actually a really good match, way better than I thought it would be, considering that neither team has been feuding in recent weeks. They are now, after what happened later on in the night at Fastlane and then on SmackDown on Tuesday. But going into this pay-per-view, these two teams had no prior established issues. It was a great match, but there was no reason for it to happen aside from setting up what we would see later on in the night with Kofi Kingston and Rusev Nakamura. But um, again, great match. Some very good near-falls. They had me convinced that Rusev and Nakamura were going over. But in the end, it was the New Day picking up the victory as they should have and maintaining momentum in the process. Uh, Fun fact here, or a not-so-fun fact, depending on how you look at it. I saw this on Twitter the other day. It's a very scary fact, and something I did not realize, and usually I take notice of these things, but it just really stunned me when I saw it. Um, Rusev has been on a 17-match pay-per-view losing streak over the last two and a half years. The last pay-per-view match that he won was... Clash of Champions, 2016. Or not Clash of Champions, I'm sorry. Roadblock end of the line when he beat Big Cass on the kickoff show by Countout. That is terrible. And the guy's been on a lot of pay-per-views since then. A lot of pay-per-views. But apparently, he's won none of them. Which I guess, if you really go back and think about it, he hasn't. Even at a time when he was United States champion last year, he still did not win a single pay-per-view match. He lost to... The New Day, here on this show. Um, I think he was in the Rumble match. No, he wasn't in the Rumble match, but he did lose his United States Championship to Nakamura back at the Rumble. Um, I don't know if he was at the December pay-per-view. I know he you know, was doing the thing with Aiden English for a while. He failed to win the WWE Championship back at um, Extreme Rules. He lost to the New Day, I think, on pay-per-view at the September pay-per-view. I think Hell in the Cell on the kickoff show for the SmackDown Tag Team titles. A few months prior to that, he had been in matches with Randy Orton. He had lost. He failed to win the United States Championship at WrestleMania. He was in last year's Rumble and lost. The guy's been on a lot of pay-per-view matches and seems to lose every single time. He actually lost Nakamura at last year's Fastlane pay-per-view. So don't be associated with Rusev, because if you are, you will lose. He lost to Andrade and Lana. Um, or uh, He was teaming with Lana, I'm sorry, it was him and Lana versus Andrade and Zelina Vega back at SummerSlam. And they lost that too. And I think that was also on the kickoff show. Yeah, Rusev has uh, been pulling kickoff show duty for a while now. And uh, just the guy cannot seem to get the job done. So by those standards, and he also won his last match on the kickoff show uh, back at Roadblock, end of the line 2016, December of that year. That is terrible, by the way. So we went two full calendar years without winning a single pay-per-view match. And it wasn't like he was never on pay-per-view. He's been on a lot of pay-per-views. He just never wins. Anyway, though, um, he won that match versus Big Cass. That was on the kickoff show. If you want to go back to the last pay-per-view match, the last pay-per-view match the guy won, I know he lost the U.S. title that year to Roman Reigns at Hell in the Cell. uh, Or at Clash of Champions, he also lost to Roman at Hell in the Cell. The SummerSlam match never came to fruition. I think he was at the July pay-per-view battleground. Versus Zack Ryder was the last time that Rusev won a main card pay-per-view match for WWE. If that's not enough a reason to want to leave the company, then I don't know what is. Same goes for Nakamura. These two are such losers by this point. I don't know if Rusev would be any better off in AEW or Impact or Ring of Honor. But just like looking at how the guy's been booked for the last five years. He's been in the main roster now for five years. Five years. Three of those years, he has not won a single pay-per-view match. That is so bad. That is so bad. Anyway, on the main card for uh, Fastlane on Sunday, we had the SmackDown Tag Team titles on the line versus uh, the Usos and The Miz and Shane McMahon. Another very entertaining outing between the two teams. Uh, good chemistry Good chemistry. do these two teams have. Uh, I thought it was a good way to kick off the show. In the end, the Usos winning the match, successfully retaining their SmackDown Tag Team titles. I think it was The Miz this time that got pinned. Uh, again, after getting pinned the last time when they dropped the SmackDown Tag Team titles. So the USO is back at Elimination Chamber. Uh, good match, though. So after the match, The Miz, they were in his hometown of Cleveland. He got a great reaction when he came out. He was talking to his dad afterward, being consoled by his dad, you know, after he lost the match, blah, blah, blah. Shane goes up to his dad, too. They talk to his dad, start to walk off. Shane, out of nowhere, blindsides Miz from behind. Such a great angle. The crowd erupts in booze for this beatdown that he's laying on the hometown hero. I thought this was tremendous. If only because I really did think that, oh yeah, Miz was so sincere in his apology to Sheen a few weeks ago. I thought thought it all would have been a ruse. I really do. I really thought Miz was going to be playing the card like, oh, I'm an actor. How did you not know that I was acting? I've turned on anyone I've ever teamed with, blah, blah, blah. But no, they did not go that route. They were instead keeping Miz as a babyface and having him feud with the heel Sheen going into WrestleMania. I really do like that a lot. It's been over a decade and a half, I think, since we last saw Sheen as a heel in WWE. I think he was a heel for when uh, the McMahons feuded with Bobby Lashley back in the spring of 2007. That's the last time I can recall Sheen being a heel in WWE. But, um, yeah, that's, that's pretty cool. I thought the angle and the attack was well done. Miz got a lot of sympathy from the fans in attendance. Now the question becomes, can the sympathy sustain itself? Will it be a long-term thing? Or will people really only start to rally behind The Miz for a short period of time? That's my question. I think this can be long-term. And I'm going to tell you why. Miz first one face back in late 2012, which I thought was long overdue. I had been pulling and pushing for a Miz... Heel turn, or rather face turn, for quite some time in like 2011, 2012. It finally happened around November of that year. And I thought it was a great change of pace for his character. No one really bought into it for a few different reasons, though. So, for those saying, oh, Miz sucks as a face, his last heel or his last face run was a massive flop. Why would you book him as a face again? Here's a few different reasons why I think this could work. One, SmackDown needs more credible faces, they're building up more now than they did before. Um, they have Rey Mysterio. They have... our truth isn't really one of those guys. But they now have Kevin Owens back as a babyface. Mustafa Ali is now being positioned as a top-tier babyface. Kofi Kingston, God forbid, the guy's one of the fucking top babyfaces on SmackDown. Who would have ever thought? Um, and they now have The Miz, um, which I think is great. They had Jeff Hardy, but, you know, um, he's now a tag-team guy with Matt Hardy. They have AJ Styles, too, but I think this is setting up an AJ move to... Raw, like I said a few weeks ago when Roman first came back. I think AJ's going to Raw. But uh, The Miz, I think, can be a real player on the SmackDown brand as a babyface. So not only that, his last face run was terribly managed. Terribly mismanaged and awfully booked. They really should have done a better job of making Miz out to be the face that he could have been. Because he was getting cheered at that point anyway. And yes, a lot of people cheer for the heels when they think they're doing a good job, but when they finally turn face, they turn on them. I know that's just the story of wrestling fans and how fickle they can be at times. The Miz, though, when he first turned face, he had zero direction. It kind of came out of nowhere. Um, he was largely uh, you know, a talk show segment host at that point. He was just debuting Miz TV. He was doing that more than he was wrestling. Um, he had the feud with Cesaro, which he never won the championship with. He won the IC Championship at WrestleMania, albeit for a fucking day before dropping it right back to Wade Barrett. So, again, uh, the Miz face turn, I thought, was awfully mismanaged and could have been way more than what it was. This time, I think the timing was right. He was getting cheered anyway. They need more credible baby faces on that brand. He's a great talker in a position with the right person to you know, be cheered against. A guy like Shane, who was likable for a while, but this really dates back to when he won the whole Best in the World, WWE World Cup at uh, Crown Jewel. The pay-per-view, Thou Shall Not Be Named, that's how bad it was. So, this has really been in the works now for a while, and it was really more a matter of when and not if they would turn Miz face. And as I said months ago, people are gonna poop all over this idea. But I really like the idea of a baby Miz chasing Daniel Bryan for the WWE Championship. I really do. And Bryan's been doing great heel work. I think Miz, in this role, could be a very compelling baby-face if it you know, sticks, if they don't book him to look like a loser and a goof, like they did four or five years ago. Um, I think he could be a really, really good babyface if booked the right way. I think down the road, a Miz and Brian feud, rekindling that rivalry from a few months ago, which, in my opinion, never really got a proper blow-off, because they had a few matches. Miz won at SummerSlam, they won again at Hell in a Cell. They had that match at Super Showdown that Brian won, which was kind of a fluke victory. The match was over in like two or three minutes, and that was it. And the feud seemingly ended after that. So again, um, I'd be more in favor of them revisiting that rivalry, this time with Miz as the babyface, Bryan as the heel. That's how Miz wins back his first WWE Championship since 2011. It's been eight years since Miz was last WWE Champion, and I think he could do some great work in that role if he was able to oppose Daniel Bryan as the heel. Personally, I'm looking forward to Miz and chan at WrestleMania. I think it could be a very solid mid-card addition to an already strong stacked card on paper. Um, hopefully Miz wins. I actually noted this on Twitter a couple of days ago that Miz has not won a match at all, I think, at WrestleMania since WrestleMania 29, which was on the kickoff show. He faced Wade Bear for the IC Championship and won. Aside from that, though, he has not won a singles match at WrestleMania since WrestleMania 27, which... Just so happened to be the show, he beat John Cena to retain the WWE Championship in the main event. So I hope this year is different. He can beat Sheen, overcome this obstacle, and then set his sights in the WWE title coming out of WrestleMania. That is how I would book The Miz for the next you know few months or so. Also on the show, uh, which was off to a strong start at that point, we had the SmackDown Women's Championship match between Asuka and Mandy Rose not so good of a start to the show after the opener was this. Um, a pretty forgettable match. Rose, I give credit to. She's been getting better and better every chance she's had. Um, She's looked good in the feed. She actually beat Asuka in shocking fashion a few weeks ago on SmackDown. This was not one of her finest moments. Definitely not one of Asuka's finest moments. Um, She just did not have a great night here. The match was mediocre at best. The finish, while I understand, was done that way on purpose, so... Here's what happened. Asuka and Mandy Rose are going at it. Mandy Rose is on offense. She bounces off the ropes, slips on the ring apron, which was up after Sonya Deville, who was at ringside, pulled out a kendo stick from underneath the ring and forgot to put the apron back. Mandy Rose trips up on the apron. Asuka responds with a kick to the head, pins Rose for the one, two, three, and Rose therefore pins, or rather blames Deville for losing. They follow that up on SmackDown two days later when Asuka faced Sonya Deville, And the same thing happened. Rose, I think, pretended to cost DeVille the matchup by pulling the ring apron up, and she tripped, and then DeVille tripped. It just... It didn't look good. So I understand if it wasn't a botch, and they did that on purpose, it just didn't look good at all. It doesn't make Asuka look any better either. Because she can't beat these two unless there's some sort of shenanigans with the ring apron. Seriously? Was this the same woman? Was this not the same woman that was undefeated For like a year and a half, two and a half years, before finally getting beaten at last year's WrestleMania. Since then, she has been resorted to an absolute afterthought in the SmackDown roster. And she's the current SmackDown Women's Champion. That's the issue with this. I was happy with the outcome. Asuka should absolutely be walking into WrestleMania 35 as the reigning SmackDown Women's Champion. But this match was hardly memorable. So Kofi Kingston went backstage to talk to Mr. McMahon, who had told Kofi, through someone else backstage, one of his uh, minions, that he was offering Kofi a WrestleMania opportunity. So he talks to Kofi, says that he's booked a triple threat match for the WWE Championship. So he tells Kofi to go out to the ring right then and there. Kofi goes out there, gets a great reaction. The people are very much behind Kofi right now. And then it's announced as a triple threat. (coughs) Excuse me. But then we come to find out The WWE title match in the show is indeed a triple threat. But it's not Kofi Kingston getting an extra spot. Kofi Kingston is instead out there for a 2-on-1 handicap match against The Bar. Now, this was painfully boring from an in-ring standpoint. It really wasn't that good at all. The crowd told them as such that it was a boring match. They sat on their hands. This wasn't good. But I liked what they're going for here. I like what they're going for in painting Kingston out to be the ultimate underdog. He's going to have to overcome all these obstacles to get to the WWE title at WrestleMania. The match itself, a yeah, well, little long of the tooth, did not need to be as long as it was, but it was still successful in what it set out to do in making Kingston not to be this very sympathetic, lovable underdog that people really, really, really want to see his get just do and uh, get the WWE title match that he has deserved and earned at WrestleMania 35. So, that's where I obviously think this is leading, as many other people do as well. Um, the match itself, again, could have done without that, but I like the angle and the story they're telling here. I think it's terrific. And everyone's eating it up, which is even better. For the Raw Tag Team titles, a triple threat tag team match here, the Revival beating Bobby Roode and Chad Gable, as well as the duo of Alistair Black and Ricochet, to successfully retain the championship Tremendous match here. As I figured it would be when you put three great teams together. Rude and Gable at this point do nothing for me. But in the ring, they're a very fun duo. They have good chemistry. Just as characters, they're as dull as dishwater at this point. I like Gable. I really like Rude. They feel criminally underutilized in this role. Um, But at least they can have fun matches. This was no exception. The Revival looked great. Black and Ricochet especially look great. They had a very strong showing of defeat. It looks like this feud is not yet over yet either. Black and Ricochet went on to beat Roode and Gable in tag team action on the next night's Raw. And the Revival attacked Black and Ricochet from behind. So the chase remains for the Raw tag team titles with Black, Ricochet, and the Revival. I guess they could add in more teams to make it a multi-team match for the Raw tag team titles at WrestleMania. I really hope they don't. I would love to see Black and Ricochet become tag team champions at WrestleMania. At this rate, we're going to have many new champions at WrestleMania if this is the uh, pace they're keeping up with. But that would be a really cool moment. I think it would be a great match. Um, they've faced off multiple times already, so I would think the Revival versus Black and Ricochet is kind of a long shot unless they add on Root and Gable and Heavy Machinery and all these other tag teams. But this was still a lot of fun, though, with the right result because I think it's still too soon to put the tag titles on Black and Ricochet. We had an impromptu Fatal 4-Way match. For the United States Championship. A rematch from SmackDown Live from the week prior. Between the reigning champion Samoa Joe. Rey Mysterio, Andrade, and R-Truth. Another entertaining outing with all four of these guys. Their chemistry is off the charts. Um, This was terrific. I mean the outcome was never really in doubt. Because Joe just won the belt on the SmackDown before this pay-per-view. But it was still a lot of fun. These four guys continue to work really, really, really well together. And um, I would have no issue with these four also being in the running for the goal of the WrestleMania. Now, I was hoping, as I said on last week's show, for a Samoa Joe-John Cena match at WrestleMania. Obviously, that's not the direction they're going in, because if it was, they would have done that on Tuesday SmackDown, and they didn't. Instead, Rey Mysterio pinned Samoa Joe in tag team action, uh, a match that featured these four guys going at it. So, clearly, they're setting up a Mysterio-Joe United States title match, or another Fatal 4-Way with a stipulation, maybe a ladder match, who knows. But um, this was still very good and one of the better matches on the entire show, I will say that much. For the WWE Women's Tag Team Titles, we had the Boston Hunt Connection taking on Nia Jax and Tamina. Uh, this match was not as good. It was okay at best. And that has nothing to do with Sasha Banks and Bailey, who are amazing. Nia Jackson and Tamina, on the other hand, are terrible. They are fucking awful. Um, Banks and Bailey tried their best here to get the best match they could out of Nia and Tamina. To no avail. This was not good. So the Boston Hug uh, the Boston Hug connection successfully retained the titles. They go over here. Afterward, Nia and Tamina still pissed about losing attack, Banks and Bailey. Then Beth Phoenix gets involved. Who was doing commentary for the matchup, which I thought was kind of random, um, but obviously it served a purpose in the end. Phoenix gets involved. She gets beat up by Nia and Tamina. Then Natalia comes down to make the save. So it looks like we're getting some sort of a multi-team match for the WWE Women's Tag Team Titles of WrestleMania, uh, which I'm not in favor of, because Nia and Tamina have now lost multiple times to Banks and Bailey. Why do they deserve another shot at the titles? The answer is that they don't. So I'd rather see them left off and be put in the annual WrestleMania Women's Battle Royal instead. What's the point of doing that Battle Royal if you're going to include every other woman in this title hunt, um, you know, going into WrestleMania? We already saw that at Elimination Chamber. I have no interest, zero interest, in seeing Nia and Tamina getting another shot of these tag team titles. Banks and Bailey are the perfect fit for those belts right now, and I think they should keep those championships on them for a while to come. Now, they did tease the Iconics versus Banks and Bailey on SmackDown this week. Banks and Bailey have, you know, said, oh, we're going to appear on every brand, and they were at NXT a few weeks ago. They've been on Raw, obviously. Nowhere to be seen on SmackDown, though. So I think that will change going forward, and we're going to get a Banks and Bailey versus Iconics match. Hopefully not at WrestleMania. The Iconics are not viable threats to those championships, in my opinion. They've been also booked to look like losers since getting called up a year ago. So if they want to be involved in the multi-team match at WrestleMania, why the hell not? Uh, which I'm still not in favor of, but whatever. But with the Boston Hell connection, it looks like, for sure, they are facing multiple teams at WrestleMania. Including the Iconics, Jackson Tamina, and the Divas of Doom, consisting of Natalya and Beth Phoenix. The WWE Championship match, as Vince McMahon said earlier in the evening, was indeed a triple threat, um, just not with Kofi Kingston. Instead, it was Mustafa Ali coming out and getting the shot, which was great for Ali. Unfortunately, he got a pretty lukewarm reaction when he came out, which it was a bad spot for him to be in. Um, he really should be in Kofi's spot right now before he got hurt. He likely would have been in that spot. Sadly, he is not, and I like Kofi, but Ali and Brian would have been a really cool you know, match to do at WrestleMania with Ali having to overcome the odds and win the title at WrestleMania. That, I think, would have been amazing. We're getting Kofi in that spot instead. No worries. Um, Kevin Owens was also involved in this match, in case you forgot. It was a great match, probably my favorite match on the entire show. I figured Brian would win. Obviously, he did, But the in-ring action was entertaining enough to keep me invested, keep me engaged. Um, All three guys really held their own here. They're really playing up the story that it was Rowan who put Ali on the shelf and that Ali wants revenge against Rowan because I think Rowan laid out Ali after this match. Not Owens, just Ali. And then Rowan actually pinned Ali in tag team action on Tuesday's SmackDown. So it certainly looks like they're setting up something between those two for either next week or the week after. Clearly, Ali is not facing Eric Rowan at WrestleMania. Give me a fucking break. But... If they want to do it as a mini-feud for the time being, I'm totally fine with that. Becky Lynch and Charlotte Flair on the show, with the stipulation that if Becky won, she would be added to the Raw Women's Championship match at WrestleMania. And obviously we all figured that would be the case. It was just a more a matter of how they would get there. And Charlotte, in case you forgot, has been a massive loser on pay-per-view, essentially since SummerSlam. Now, we all talk about Rusev, or not everybody, but I mentioned it earlier, Rusev's awful pay-per-view record and how he has lost almost every match he's been a part of since he joined the um not not joined the main roster but uh, you know for the last like two and a half years he's lost a lot of pay-per-view matches. Charlotte Flair has also lost a lot of pay-per-view matches. You know she lost back at the Royal Rumble, at TLC, she lost at Evolution to Becky Lynch, Survivor Series she lost at. She lost. She won at Super Showdown, albeit by disqualification, so I don't really count that. Um, prior to that, she lost at Hell in a Cell to Charlotte Flair or to Becky Lynch, and she won her last match um, when she won the SmackDown win Title back back at SummerSlam. She has not won a one-on-one match on pay per view since God WrestleMania, I think, because she lost to Carmella at Backlash, and I think she was out for a while after that. She was at Money in the Bank. She lost that match, too. She took some time off. So, yeah, I think Charlotte Flair is actually, um, she has not won a singles match on pay-per-view in almost a year, and that's not happening this year either, because even if she did win at WrestleMania 35, it's a triple threat. So she's been the queen of triple threats over the last year or so. Uh, You know, the one with Asuka back at TLC. She had that one triple threat with Becky and Carmella at SummerSlam, now with Rousey. Lynch and Charlotte, these triple threats, man, they just do not give up with these three-ways. Um, but anyway, this was not a good angle. Um, the entire match, if you can even call it that, consisted of Charlotte beating down on Becky for like 10 minutes, beating down on the injured knee, which I'm so sick of the goddamn injured knee. I'm so done with the injured knee. But she targeted the injured knee. She, you know, Becky fought back. F- uh, Flair locked in the figure four, the figure eight, I should say. Before Becky could tap out, out comes Ronda Rousey, who attacks Becky, ensures that she wins, and is therefore added to the Raw Women's Championship match at WrestleMania. Screw the fact that Becky could have won here, been made out to look extremely credible and strong going into WrestleMania. No, no, why do that when we could just have Ronda Rousey get involved and hand lynch the WrestleMania main event, which she should have never been, you know, uh, rid of anyway. Becky earned that spot by winning the Rumble. They have completely complicated and convoluted this entire thing way more than they needed to. It's such a mess. I thought this shit was a mess before when I talked about it a week ago. They went on to have Becky win by DQ on pay-per-view. And I guarantee you the only reason they did that was because they didn't want Charlotte losing again because she's probably losing at WrestleMania. And they should absolutely have Rousey lose to Lynch. I don't want to see Becky and Rousey, um, you know... I I, I do want to see Becky beat Rousey. That's the story that should be told here. Flair should not be the one getting pinned. I assume that's why she's involved. But that's not the match. That's not really what I want to see. If they really want to wrap up this rivalry between Lynch and Rousey, they have to have Lynch win. Unless they plan on keeping the feet alive between Rousey and Lynch, and Rousey will take time off, come back, and then face Becky again for the belt at, like, SummerSlam. That would be fine. But, you know, they've done this before. They did this two or three years ago with Charlotte and Sasha. That should have been the WrestleMania match. But they threw in, coincidentally enough, um, Becky Lynch. Which was fine. She deserved the spot. But I was really hoping for Charlotte and Sasha at WrestleMania. We didn't get it. Whatever. And Becky got pinned. She actually submitted to Charlotte. So they saved the Sasha-Charlotte feud for the summer. And I assume that's what they might be doing here with Becky and Rousey. Because I see no reason why Charlotte should be involved in this thing. Unless that's the plan, they really should have been doing Becky and Rousey at WrestleMania one-on-one. But whatever, don't want to be down a dead horse, so that wasn't good. Um, Elias had performed all night long, uh, only to be interrupted, only to be interrupted by Lacey Evans of all people. Why I have no idea. Lacey Evans has been appearing on all sorts of shows, Raw, SmackDown, Fastlane, Elimination Chamber, for months now, doing really nothing but walking down the ramp before walking right back up. And clearly this is setting up something for her. I would assume a SmackDown Women's title match at WrestleMania. Um, So in the midst of this, Randy Orton laid out Elias out of nowhere with an RKO. AJ then laid out Orton out of nowhere with a phenomenal forearm. And it was a pretty simple angle to get these guys on the show and further their feud, which I thought was good. Um, I thought what they did on SmackDown was even better. The back and forth that Styles and Orton had on SmackDown was fantastic. And if you haven't seen it, definitely go out of your way to check it out. It was such a great segment. With Orton first saying, like, Oh, when you were wrestling in bingo halls for $10 and hot dogs, I was here in WWE making my main roster debut. When I was winning the World Championship in 2004, becoming the youngest World Champion in WWE history, you were getting a tan down in Florida with Dixie Carter, shaking hands with your opponent in Ring of Honor. He didn't mention Ring of Honor. He didn't mention Impact. But he actually did mention Dixie Carter, which is hilarious. Dixie Carter, WWE debut, pending. Confirmed. Confirmed. I'm just kidding, obviously. But I thought that was funny. This whole back and forth was great. Um, Styles was like, oh, you know, you've been copying people from the indies for years, like taking the diamond cutter. And then Orton's like, oh, you want to talk about copying? And then it is the too sweet thing, which was funny. And then Styles goes, every person in the back that you surround yourself with is from the independent scene. So stop disrespecting the indies and start realizing that you would have never made two. You would have never never survived two seconds on the indie scene um, had it not been for your daddy getting you a job, which was just a great line. And then Orton said, "I will just burn the house that you built right down to the ground." How did you build this house when I've been here since day one? It was a great, great segment. And they have yet to make the match official for WrestleMania, but obviously that's where this is headed. AJ and Orton one on one at WrestleMania. I'm looking forward to that I think that could be a really really good match I've always really wanted to see AJ and Orton but I thought the promo was a great way of making people care about this feud because prior to this you know they made a few comments towards each other um, backstage on SmackDown they've pinned each other in various matches um, they've done this and that a few different times they've gone back and forth for months now but this was really the first steps taken towards a WrestleMania match and I loved it I really did The main event for Fastlane was The Shield taking on Baron Corbin, Drew McIntyre, and Bobby Lashley in six-man tag team action. We were told going in that this would be The Shield's last ride. Now, whether it actually will be their last ride remains to be seen. I figured that it was all an angle and that it would lead to Dean Ambrose. Yeah, it was their last ride because Ambrose was going heel again. Thankfully, I mean, I I can't say even thankfully because they thought that would have been a great idea to set up a Roman and Dean match for WrestleMania. Roman and Drew McIntyre isn't a bad idea either. Because at least that gives Drew something to do. I assume Roman's winning, which he probably should. I feel bad for Drew, but it's not like Drew's getting buried or anything like that. But I will say this, at least this relieves us of the possibility that Roman might have faced Baron Corbin one-on-one at WrestleMania, which, oof, that is a sigh of relief, because I had no desire to see Roman and Corbin at all, let alone at WrestleMania. So here's hoping we dodged the bullet there. But this was a great match that really harkened back to the days of the Shield's classic six-man tag team formula because for a long time, from like 2012 to 2014, there were no more consistent performers than the Shield who would go out there every single week and deliver a barn burner in six-man tag team action. Um, This was another one of those bouts. It was a really, really good main event. The crowd was into it. They were hot for the action. Uh, They went over decisively in the end by pinning Baron Corbin. Hopefully that ends that feud. And now Roman can move on to facing Drew McIntyre at WrestleMania. And again, I'm slightly disappointed that we're not getting um, Roman and Dean at WrestleMania just because I feel like the feud would have made sense. And if Ambrose is indeed on his way out, which remains my prediction, my thought process, that Dean is still on his way out of WWE, that we will never get to see Dean and Roman. Not as a match, because we did get it once in the main event of Survivor Series back in 2015. The match sucked. It was a 10-minute throwaway television main event. It was it was pretty forgettable. Um, I really wanted a full-on Shield, you know, not Shield feud, but like a full-on Dean and Roman match. One-on-one, and we're not getting that, which sucks. But no worries. Um, at least we're getting Roman and Drew instead, which I'm looking forward to. We very well might have seen the last of Dean Ambrose on Monday's Raw. You face Drew McIntyre in a Falls Count Anywhere match. At his request per his request because it was supposed to be Roman and Corbin McIntyre attacked Roman beforehand so that match never came to fruition Ambrose demanded a match with McIntyre instead they had a good match, they worked well together McIntyre went over decisively in the end beating the crap out of Ambrose afterward so that to me felt like a write off for the Ambrose character on WWE TV which feels weird so close to Wrestlemania but let's be real here if it's not Roman and Dean at Wrestlemania what else do you do with Dean Ambrose put him in the battle royal? Do you have him face Baron Corbin? God forbid that sounds awful. Actually they did do that match two years ago, to be fair. They did do Dean and Corbin two years ago at WrestleMania on the kickoff show for the Intercontinental Championship. And I remember being so excited to see Corbin win the IC title. Didn't happen. And that was back when I was a much bigger Baron Corbin fan than I am now. I still like the guy. But back at that point, he was on a roll. He had momentum. I had just met him at WrestleMania Access. I was so excited to see Corbin finally become IC champion, and he didn't. (laughs) So that was disappointing. That was two years ago. That was 2017. We're currently living in the year of 2019. Um, I do not want to see Dean and Baron Corbin at WrestleMania, not by any stretch of the imagination. But that was Fastlane on Sunday. Again, a pretty good show. I did not watch it live. But uh, watching it back on Monday morning, I I thought it was a pretty good show overall. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, There were a handful of matches that delivered. Some that didn't deliver, but I thought the good outweighed the bad. The main event was very good. I thought the three-way for the WWE Championship, which in my opinion was the match of the night. I thought that was excellent. Uh, The four-way for the US title was great. The triple threat for the Raw Tag Team titles was great. And even the, the kickoff match with the New Day and Rusev and Nakamura was very good. And the SmackDown Tag Team title opener where the Usos, Miz, and Shane was also great. And Shane's subsequent heel turn was also uh, very well booked and very well executed. So that was Fastlane on Sunday. I kind of ran through my thoughts on Raw and SmackDown and reviewing Fastlane. But real quick for what I didn't mention. Uh, the Shield did give their farewell address, quote-unquote, on Raw. At the beginning of Raw on Monday night. Wasn't much of a farewell address. Uh, they kind of did their entrance which was cool. Roman talked for maybe three or four minutes, and that was it. Uh, Rollins and, uh, or rather, Ambrose and Reigns walked off. That was that was it for the Shield, so I guess that's uh, kind of an anticlimactic ending to one of the greatest factions in recent memory, but whatever. Paul Heyman interrupted Seth Rollins, who remained in the ring for a promo to kind of go back and forth with Heyman to hype up the Universal Championship match, which I think most people actually forgot was happening until they showed the graphic on Monday. Lesnar has been persona non grata on WWE TV since the Rumble. I think... Yeah, he actually appeared on the Raw after WrestleMania or after the Royal Rumble. Laying down Rollins with, I think, like six F5s. But beyond that, the guy has been, you know, nowhere to be seen on Raw. He'll be on Raw, I think, next week. But WrestleMania is like two or three weeks away. That's pretty bad. He really should have been on Raw more than he has been. Considering he's the world champion. All we can hope for is that he's dropping the belt at WrestleMania and we can finally move on from this Brock Lesnar Universal Championship experiment and Rollins will go back to being a full-time champion and we won't have to worry about this shit anymore. Speaking of Rollins, he wanted to face Shelton Benjamin on Monday's Raw. Yeah, that seems like a weird match to do, but not really. Uh, Shelton Benjamin was actually the college roommate of Brock Lesnar back in the day. They trained, I think, at the University of Minnesota. They were on the same wrestling team, they were friends, and like I said, they were roommates, so that was kind of cool. Most people I saw on my Twitter timeline, they are like, Shelton Benjamin? Like, that's kind of weird. Brand split be damned, despite the fact that Shelton's a SmackDown guy. Um, he did face Rollins on Monday's Raw. No explanation why you can wrestle on Raw despite being a SmackDown guy. I, I guess the brand split doesn't even matter anymore. Uh, It was a good match, though. I like the history told between Benjamin and Lesnar and Rollins having to overcome Benjamin before he gets to Lesnar or WrestleMania, let alone next week. So I thought that was good, and they had a very good match. Um, Lashley beat Finn Balor to win back the Intercontinental Championship. Why? Because fuck us. That's why. I have no idea. I really don't. Uh, The match was alright. They don't really have that good of chemistry, so I don't know why they keep going back to Balor and Lashley as a feud, because it's just not working. And I like Lashley and Leo Rush. I love the pairing. I honestly don't even mind Lashley as IC's champion. But why take the title off the guy to put it right back on him a month later? It makes absolutely no sense. No sense at all. Like Vince McMahon's theme song, No Chance in Hell. It makes no sense. No sense at all to put the belt right back on Bobby Lashley. A month after Balor won it. A month after Lashley won it in January. A month after Dean Ambrose won it in December. The belt is as prestigious as what I'm wearing around my waist right now. That's how worthless that thing is at the moment. Ronda Rousey got a great promo on Monday's Raw. Um, Going off on the fans, her lines still feel scripted, but it's not more so the lines, because I think Paul Heyman's helping her with the lines, which I think they work for Heyman, not so much Ronda. But at this point, if Heyman is working so closely with Ronda in her promos, then why isn't he just the mouthpiece for Ronda Rousey? It's not like Lesnar's around anyway. And this has been pitched for a long time now. Ronda Rousey is a Paul Heyman girl. I think would be awesome. Maybe they could do that coming out of WrestleMania. But I just think maybe it's because Ronda's taking time off. Presumably at the WrestleMania. They don't want to do that. She won't be around long term. I don't know. But at this point, her promos are getting better with her as a heel. Because she feels more natural in that role. She's naturally likable. But... In terms of speaking ability, she's a natural bitch. Just go back and watch her promos from UFC. She's just, she knows how to make people hate her. And she did a great job of that on Monday night. But yeah, this was a very good segment. She beat down Dana Brooke with ease. With ease, Dana Brooke came out and complained about, oh, I don't get opportunities. I don't get television time before she got shut the hell up by Ronda Rousey. Awesome. I already talked about this earlier, but Black and Ricochet beat Bobby Roode and Chad Gable in tag team action. Alexa Bliss revealed that she will be the host of WrestleMania 35. Um, Other recent hosts include The New Day from WrestleMania 33, The Rock from WrestleMania 27, Kim Kardashian from WrestleMania 24. Yes, Kim Kardashian actually hosted a WrestleMania over 10 years ago. Why? I have no idea. But she did. Um, Alexa, that's a fine role for her. I mean, it's not like she was doing anything anyway. She's been irrelevant for like, six months, she was hurt for a while, and then she was cleared, and she hasn't been doing anything since, she was in the Women's Rumble, I don't know if she's wrestled the match since on Raw, so whatever, uh, Natalia beat Nia Jax by DQ in like a minute, Triple H and Batista is official for WrestleMania, they're back and forth, I actually really liked, I appreciated the intensity, but Batista like demanding that Triple H give him what he wanted at WrestleMania seemed a bit anticlimactic, But it was still a good segment. I'm looking forward to Triple H and Batista at WrestleMania. And it's going to be happening under Triple H's terms and it being a no-holds-barred match. So again, I'm excited for that. Kurt Angle announced in his hometown of Pittsburgh that at WrestleMania, he will be wrestling his final match for WWE. Likely his retirement match in general. But Angle's last match will come at WrestleMania 35. His opponent is not yet known. And I guess Angle doesn't know yet either. I could see them waiting until WrestleMania for us to find out. Um, I think John Cena makes sense as much as anybody. And if you've been watching wrestling for any stretch of time, you know the history between Kurt Angle and John Cena. It was actually Kurt Angle who John Cena made his debut match against on SmackDown in June of 2002. Angle issued an open challenge. Cena came out, took Angle to the limit. Cena lost, but it was still a great debut for John Cena. Fast forward 17 years, and I think Cena makes as much sense as anybody to face Kurt Angle at WrestleMania. You know the match would be good, has a big fight feel to it. It gets seen at WrestleMania if he's not facing Samoa Joe for the U.S. title. And I think it's just a good match to do all around. Um, and you can have Cena avenge that loss by beating Kurt Angle at WrestleMania in Angle's last match, which I feel like he would do the honors on his way out, as he probably should. So I, I like the idea of that match at WrestleMania. He faced Apollo Crews on Raw this week. It was a nice little match. And this tweet got everybody riled up. And I, so I tweeted on Monday, I said, no disrespect to Apollo Cruz, without saying this, full disrespect to Jinder Mahal, but why is Kurt Angle, if he has only a few matches left, why the hell is he facing people like Cruz in Jinder Mahal on Raw? Now, I know it's a tough position to be put in, they're not going to have him face Seth Rollins, like, that's a match I want to see, Seth Rollins and Kurt Angle, they're not going to do that, because they can't have Rollins lose so close to WrestleMania. They also don't want to have Kurt Angle lose so close to WrestleMania. I still think it'd be a cool match to do. They did something similar in TNA a few years ago with, him, with, uh, with Angle. They had him face a few different, you know, favorite opponents of his, including Bobby Lashley a few times, Drew McIntyre, Bobby Roode. And I thought it was really well done. They, they gave him a lot of great matches on his way out. Um, having him face losers like Apollo Crews and Jinder, to me, doesn't accomplish anything. It gives Apollo Crews some credibility, but unless they're going to be doing something with him coming out of the show, it served no purpose. And People got really mad when I said, oh, oh, Apollo Crews is a great wrestler. How dare you say that it's a waste of a Kurt Angle match? Well, it kind of is. The guy's been a loser for a long time now. You know what? If you want to have Angle face losers going into WrestleMania, just give me Chad Gable. Chad Gable and Kurt Angle is the one match I want to say. At least that would make sense. Apollo Crews is never on the show. Angle and Gable at least would have some chemistry. They're both Olympic athletes. It'd be a lot of fun. Jinder and Angle? Are you kidding me? Who cares? Who the fuck could possibly care? Jinder's a loser. Yeah, he's a former WWE champion. Okay, for a cup of coffee. The guy was a bum. He was a loser. He sucks. I do not want to see Angle face people of that caliber. I don't want to see Kurt Angle be wasted on people like Kurt Hawkins, who are expecting the world to Kurt Hawkins, But a Kurt Angle match at this point in time with three weeks left until WrestleMania should not be wasted on Kurt Hawkins. I'd rather see Kurt Angle and Elias, who's not doing anything now anyway. I'd rather see Kurt Angle and, again, like I said, a Chad Gable. Kurt Angle and Bobby Roode. Kurt Angle and Finn Balor. Not Kurt Angle and Baron Corbin. Who cares? Who cares about Baron Corbin? Kurt Angle and Bobby Lashley would even be interesting. Matches like that is what I want to see on Raw. Going into WrestleMania. Not not angle-facing people like... Apollo Crews is more tolerable than... Jinder. Jinder sucks. Baron Corbin is not that much better. Please do not waste angle on people like that. I already talked about the Roman Baron Corbin, McIntyre, Ambrose fiasco from Raw, so that was alright. Uh, real quickly, from SmackDown on Tuesday, I already talked about most of the show. Shane McMahon explained his actions from Fastlane, which I thought was a good segment... Black, Ricochet, and the Hardy Boys versus The Bar, Rusev, and Nakamura went to a no contest after The New Day got involved, so it certainly looks like we're getting a multi-team match for the SmackDown Tag Team titles of WrestleMania, and that's fine. Uh, I really do think it should be The Usos versus The Hardy Boys straight up, but whatever. The AJ Orton segment was great. I already talked about that before. Oscar Deville talked about that before. Um, Charlotte and Becky Lynch had a back and forth in the mic. That was a good segment. Mysterio and our truth beat Joe and Andrade with Mysterio pinning Joe seemingly setting up a future U.S. title match between Mysterio and Samoa Joe. Uh, Daniel Bryan and Rowan beat Owens and Mustafa Ali in tag team action. And then Mr. McMahon announced that next week, he's giving Kofi Kingston a WrestleMania opportunity, only if he can run the gauntlet and beat everyone in his way, from Rowan to The Bar, to Samoa Joe, to Randy Orton. I feel like there's something to be said for making Kofi out to look too strong. Because if the guy can beat five former top talents... What's stopping him from beating Daniel Bryan at WrestleMania? Obviously, there's going to be a lot of shenanigans. They'll have Kofi jump through hoops to beat Daniel Bryan at WrestleMania. Um, I'm not a fan of all the overbooking, but people are still very much behind Kofi. So if that's the case, then everything else be damned. I guess it really doesn't matter. And then quickly from 205 Live, the semifinals of the WWE Cruiserweight Championship Number 1 Contenders Tournament. Cedric Alexander beat Oni Lorkin to advance. I thought that was a great match. Then Tony Nice beat Drew Gulak to advance to the finals as well. So it's gonna be Nice Alexander next week with a winner advancing to WrestleMania to face Buddy Murphy for the Cruiserweight Championship. Uh, with Oni Lorkin getting beat, my new pick is that Tony Nice goes to WrestleMania, which I wasn't too excited about before. I'm still not all that sold on. But they have history. I'm sure the match would be great. Nice is from the Northeast New York, New Jersey area, so Hopefully, the crowd would be would be behind him on that show if they played it up that way. Um, but yeah, we'll see who wins come next Tuesday on 205 Live. And that does it for this week's edition of Wrestle Rant Radio. Thank you guys for staying tuned throughout the entire hour for another jam packed episode. We'll be back next Thursday with my full review of Ring of Honor's 17th anniversary show. Um, Alexis and I will be in attendance for the Ring of Honor New Japan Pro Wrestling G1 Supercard event at Madison Square Garden on the Friday, or rather Saturday before WrestleMania, mere 24 hours before Mania. So that's going to be really exciting. I'll talk all about that and the remainder of the road to WrestleMania and what it has in store next week right here on WrestleRant Radio. You can check out full episodes of the show, not only on nextairwrestling.net, but also on iTunes by simply searching up WrestleRant Radio on your Apple Podcast app. Rate the show, review the show, subscribe to the show. You not only get every new episode on Thursdays, you also get every archived episode dating back to October of 2013. As for me, guys, you can find me on the social medias on Twitter at WrestleRant, on Facebook at Facebook.com backslash Graham.GSM.Matthews, and on YouTube as well at YouTube.com backslash C backslash Graham Matthews. So until next time, guys, have a great rest of your week slash weekend. I'm Graham GSM Matthews, and I'll catch your ass down the road.